Hello, Dr. Ray. Hi, Dr. Ray. How are you? I'm sure I'm going to get really good advice from you. Oh, I don't know about that. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. You came to the wrong place. So what do I do? Well, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. This is wonderful advice. This is what I needed to hear. You're right on track with us. You're right on track. Everybody make a mistake. Does that comfort you? No. Am I close? No. You are the best thing that has ever happened to people. Did I make you feel a lot better or what? No, you made me feel worse. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. New study found out with people with a lot of phobias are more likely to have health problems. Or, as those people put it, I was afraid of that. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about a phobia at some point here down the road. This is Dr. A. Dr. Zinn, thank you so much for joining me. Back in the studios here in Canton, Ohio, Living Bread Radio, with my cohorts and compatriots, Andrew Kruchek, producer man there at Ave Maria Radio Communications, and Eric Dumont, who is our call screamer on a regular basis. I want to thank... I didn't get a chance because I was doing some recording. I want to thank all the folks in Wichita. Janie Carney, Terry, all of you at uh, PBS Kansas who provided a wonderful studio and a huge audience. You guys came out in numbers unexpected. Thank you so very much. Tells me one of two things about you. You're caring, conscientious, supportive people, or you got no life whatsoever. Either way, I appreciate you being there, and I just want to thank all the folks in Wichita Catholic Radio Network. What else do I have to say here? Um, 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 pretty much about it. 877-573-7825. 877-57-EQUAL is the number to call to get onto the program program is a call-in program. You are the callers. I am the callee. There is an intermediate step between you and me. That step is Eric Dumont, which apparently he tells me that more and more people are saying, Eric, I really don't want to go on the air. I just want to ask you this. And so he steps in and gives his particular suggestions and guidance, which uh, people are emailing me and say, "Uh, Eric took care of it, and I thank you. I'll make him available. 877-57-EQUAL is the number to call if you have a question regarding something in your life. Uh, Now as we're moving toward the holidays rapidly, which I think officially I can start listening to Christmas music pretty soon. There are a lot of questions about relatives coming in from far peace. And uh, some of those relatives may not be the easiest in your mind to get along with. Of course, keep in mind... They could be thinking you ain't the easiest to get along with either. Always remember that. But, Dr. Ray, I am easy to get along with. They're off. That must, that's what makes them hard to get along with. They're not fair in their assessment of me. That may very well be true. But just keep in mind that their perception may be that you ain't so nice to get along with either. We tend to think, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing so good and I'm trying to get along with them and they're just not nice people. Now, well, that may be. But it's their perception. That you got to deal with. 877 equal Questions about life, questions about stuff, questions about the holidays, questions, circumstances, concerns, things that matter to you. 
hedonic adaptation. Now, that's a fancy term, probably coined by psychologists. We, we psychologists coin a lot of fancy terms for things that are just everyday, or things that common sense would tell you is not complicated. Hedonic adaptation means getting used to, becoming accustomed to, more or less habituating to things that uh, once gave you joy or pleasure, or once were viewed as highly positive things in your life. It means that over time, as these things are part of your life, you, you adjust to them. You acclimate to them. You, you inure to them. They don't have the same happiness jolt as you initially gave them, or they gave you. My wife and I, many, many, many years ago, when the children were just starting to come into our lives, had an invitation to go to Hawaii. There's a group that was paying our all expenses. They wanted me to speak. We got to this incredible five-star resort hotel that had breakfasts in the morning. Little buffet breakfast, pretty cool. I like buffets. I'm not used to going to a restaurant and having someone bring my food to my table. That makes me suspicious. I used to getting up and just going and getting it. They had strawberries there that well, they were approximately the size of a watermelon. They were huge. I figured those strawberries had some kind of steroid injections or something. We couldn't believe it. The first morning, we just were in awe of these strawberries. How good they were. How sweet they were. Oh, they made breakfast. Second morning, those strawberries were there. Yeah, they tasted just as good. And they were just as big. And they were pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, pretty impressive. By the sixth day, we'd pretty much gotten used to those strawberries. I was afraid they were going to ruin me for strawberries at home where they're just normal golf ball size. But no, these watermelon strawberries, they were still big, still luscious, still sweet, but uh, didn't have the same uh, kick they had. We, had. we had adapted to them. We got used to them. Hedonic comes from the word that means pleasure. Pleasure adaptation. You get used to stuff. You buy a new car, oh, so cool, isn't it? Yeah, that new car again, you get that smell, new car. After about four months, you're getting into the car, you know, yeah, okay, it's nice, nice car, nice car. But, uh, it's, uh, you know, you got used to it, just got used to it. This happens in everything. That's oftentimes why television series have a life. Seven, eight, nine, ten years, they're done. People get used to them, they don't. They don't provide the same enjoyment, the same positive that they did in the beginning when they were new. Hedonic adaptation. There's a parallel. I don't know what I would call it. Gratitude adaptation? The things that we have in our lives that are just there, we adapt to them 
and we don't feel the same gratitude for them, if we ever did. For example, let me just give you a couple of the more really, 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 really common ones you don't think about. Breathing. You grateful for breathing? Most of you listening to me do not have pulmonary problems. Your lungs are fine. You don't have issues with your heart so that you don't get winded with minor exertion. You breathe fine. You breathe just fine. You grateful for that? Thank God for that? How often do you thank God that you can breathe clearly? Hmm? You can move. Most of you are not confined in any way. You can ambulate, get around. You can move. You can walk. You put one step in front of the other. You can do it. And you've done it so much that you don't think about it. But you can move. When I get up from this chair in this studio, I can walk out of here under my own two feet. I don't think about it. That's something to really be grateful for. I can see. I can... I can see the computer board here. I can also see that, that there's nobody there. But I can see. I have love in my life. Love of people around me. Family members. Other folks. I have love in my life. So, how often do I thank God for that love? Children. Have children. Thank you for my children. We do, but... But we don't pay attention to it. We could pay attention every second of our existence to something to be grateful for. Gratitude, adaptation. We don't, we don't think about it. Something has to kind of intrude. Maybe a big prayer answered. You know, somebody's ill and you've prayed for them. And they've gotten better and they've gotten well. And maybe even to the surprise of the doctors who can't explain it. So, we thank our Lord. But a year later, do we still thank Him? Well, no, I thanked Him back when, and I thanked Him for a couple, three weeks after that, and okay, come on. You walk into a weight room and you see 90-pound dumbbells sitting there. For the most part, that's what 90-pound dumbbells do. They sit there, very few people grab them. But the stronger guys do. They grab them and they do one arm, 90 pounds in each arm, bench presses. You're looking at that and you're thinking, I can't, I can't, even, I can't even fathom that. I can't even fathom that. Now, I'm going to assume you're a guy. Now, a woman benching 90 pounds is almost impossible. Almost impossible. I think even, even the most world-class Women weightlifters would either struggle or be unable to do 90-pound dumbbells, repetitions. So you head over to the 20s, the 25s, and that's, that's pretty much what you can handle. But if you stay at it for two, three years, and you're a guy, at the end of those two, three years, you're using 60s, 70s, maybe 80s. If you're a woman, you're using 30s, 40s, 45s maybe. You worked at it. Gratitude is a muscle. You gotta work at it. You gotta think about it. You gotta pay attention to what you're grateful for. It doesn't come natural. 
because hedonic adaptation takes over. You get used to it. As I walk out of this studio to my car, there are countless things that if I paid attention to them, I could be grateful for and tell God I am. The studio, being here, have a chance to have this radio show. Are you kidding me? Talk to you? Um, in front of me, there's things I'm looking at. I can, I can read. You know that I can read. For most of human history, the literacy rates were under 5%. I can read. I made it to my age. As I get older here, there's less and less people. The, the percentage of people that are making it to my age is, uh, is getting pretty small. I made it to my age. I can talk to you. I have a, a larynx that works. It doesn't have any illness as far as I know. There's warmth in this building. I'm not cold. It's warm. The seat is really comfortable. Heading out to my my car. I have a car. Much of the world doesn't have a car. Even in Europe, they don't really have cars like they do in the U.S. we got cars. In Cuba, they're driving around in 1960s cars because that's kind of what they can afford and what they have in their economy. I get in my car. I can turn the radio on. And I, well, I can hear. I can hear the music. It goes on and on and on and on and on. So the question becomes, are you going to allow gratitude adaptation to take over, or are you going to start thinking about and thanking about all the stuff that makes your life the way it is? 877-573-7825 is the number to call to get onto the program. I would welcome, absolutely welcome, your calls. At K. Roos Jewelry, you're more than a number. Tony K. Ruse, a master diamond setter with 45 years of experience, will take the time to listen to your jewelry design idea and work to create the perfect custom engagement ring, anniversary gift, or even do complex repairs. You can expect heirloom quality jewelry that will shine for generations to come. Visit K. Ruse Jewelry at 504 Main Street in Belleville next to T-Mobile or call 734-444-2323. Is there a universal call to prayer? The Catholic Catechism tells us man is in search of God. God, in the act of creation, called every being into existence from nothingness. Even after man sinned and lost his likeness to God, he remained an image of his Creator and never lost his desire for the one who called him into existence. All religions attest to man's essential search for God. The Catechism points out, however, that God calls us first to that mysterious encounter, prayer. God always initiates. Man's first step in the process is to respond. Prayer is a reciprocal call. Throughout the whole history of salvation, the covenant drama unfolds. The revelation of prayer in the Old Testament comes between the fall and the restoration of man. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health-sharing community. Plus, 
Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Eight seven seven fifty seven equal is the number to call to get onto the program. This happens about oh, I'm going to just get a rough estimate, very rough estimate. Eleven point two six five three percent of the time, someone will email and I will say, "Can you call the show? Can you call the show? I'd like to just ask some clarifying questions and give you a better thinking on it." And as I said, a small percentage, but this mom here says, no, I'll call in, Dr. Ray. You said to call in, and I'm calling in. So she's calling from Cincinnati, Ohio. Hello there, Mom. Hi. I thought it was just 10%. No, I'm getting a lot more popular now. I am. <laughs> oh, it's another, oh, it's another one plus percent. Oh, yeah. It took me 20 years to get there. But uh, well, at, at that rate, it's not looking good then. No, it isn't. I'm going to have to live to be 796, getting up to 40 percent. Yeah. So now, tell me, why do you think your 30-year-old daughter has? Uh, I think it was 30, right? If I remember the email. No, she's 21. Oh, 21. Okay, missed it by, missed it by uh, six. I think I don't have my calculator with me, but I think it's six. <laughs> Twenty-one. Why do you think she has ADHD? I don't think she has it. Um, she's she's always been really artsy with her head in the clouds sort of thing. I don't think she has ADHD necessarily, but she wants to be assessed. She's wanted to be assessed for years. At first, I think it was because she just wanted the drugs to go with it. But now she says it's because she wants to be able to have an excuse at school to tell her professors so she can get extensions on her deadlines. When she was in school, when she was in elementary school, did any of the teachers note any of this? Uh, she was homeschooled pretty much all the way through. And when she was homeschooled, did you did you notice any problems with uh, attention? And matter of fact, she seemed to be within the normal range of sticking to her she work. Yeah, she was a straight-A student, and she could get stuff done. I mean, she a lot of times I thought she wasn't listening, and I would get angry, and I'd quiz her, but she could repeat everything back to me. She could always do everything really well, so she's never had a problem with academics. Well, that's a big indicator that she may not at all be ADHD. Plus, it also sounds like, now, you know, when she says ADHD, she's implying that there is the impulsive component to it. In other words, I act on impulse. I don't control my behavior well. I don't follow rules well. Is that her? Mm, a little bit, but personally, I think she's just looking for an excuse, and I think she does what she wants to do, and she doesn't do what she doesn't want to do. If it's important to her, she'll do it. But she is insistent when, you know, we, we go to her and we say, why didn't you do such and such, meet, you know, an important deadline. And she says, well, I just can't. I just can't. But so mm -hmm. I don't buy all that. But she really wants this assessment. So I thought, well, if I get her an assessment, if I go to a professional that knows what they're doing, they will say she doesn't have it. 
Well, I would hope. I'm not fully confident in that, unfortunately. Yeah, me neither. Um, because ADHD is a, a very prominent diagnosis now. And that's why I asked about her childhood. Because, Mom, this is the developmental problem. This is something that is, that is there early on. It isn't something that, okay, I'm 20 years old and I have a hard time concentrating in college. Um, I, you know, I've learned to trust mother's instincts. I, I really do. <laughs> and, and in a lot of respects. Um, she essentially, in your opinion, wants to get somebody to say she can't complete her work on time and she needs extensions to get through college, right? Something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. In your observation, is this your daughter who tends to find ways around responsibilities or demands? Um, in in recent years, I think she just will not do something that she needs to do unless she wants to do it. That's not ADHD at all. At all. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think part of what's happening here is that she's sophisticated enough to know that that's a very common now diagnosis. It's also one that can allow people to get a lot of leeway, and so she may figure, well, hey, that's what, that's what's wrong with me. That's what's wrong with me. Mom doesn't understand it, but I've been struggling with this all my life. Mom doesn't understand it. Sound like something she might say? Yeah, she yeah she would, and she says her big problem is um, motiv- just a, like a lack of motivation and that sort of thing. But I really think a combination of being addicted to screens, maybe mm. poor diet, you know, lifestyle. I feel like all of that takes an effect, and now she just really wants an excuse because everybody around her probably has well, some sort of label. Maybe you can tell her that um, I don't see it. I've never seen it. I'm not a professional, but I am your mother, and I've lived with you. Uh, therefore, I'm not going to pay for the the assessment. You want the assessment, you pay for it. Okay. I'd also like to, I guess, find a source where I can look up exactly what a description of it is so that I can maybe judge for myself and then speak to her and say, you don't meet these criteria. Well, first of all, she's not going to believe you. That's the first thing. She doesn't believe you now. Mm-hmm. The second thing is, if you go to the standard stuff, you look it up on the Internet, you're going to see a list of symptoms nine miles long. And you're going to say, well, that seems to fit. Uh, uh, Nine of those seem to fit her. That's true, because we're all a little bit ADD, which is what it sounds like she is, not ADHD. Use old terminology. She's saying, I have a problem with stick-to-itiveness as opposed to distraction and impulsivity. So that's very different. So I think she's not even using the term right. That's the other problem. Um, okay. You got you got to decide as a mom. I'm 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 in my opinion. I know you. I love you. Uh, I, I went to I went to look it up. Went to look up ADHD and and found these things. You're you're not. She's not going to fit a bunch of them. She's not going to be impulsive. She's not going to be necessarily distractible. She's not going to be overactive. She's not going to she's not going to fit that stuff. 
She's going to be more of a, I don't follow through. I kind of get, uh, I kind of get sidetracked. I really don't do what I know I'm supposed to do. Yeah, that's it. I know. How do I know these things? But that's (laughs) not necessarily ADHD. And even if she's somewhat that way, you got to be significantly that way. You don't just say, well, I don't follow through, I'm therefore I'm ADHD. No. you got to be a lot that way, out of the norm, well out of the norm. So, Mom, you decide whether you want to cooperate with this or if you say to yourself, I, I think this would be misleading us both. 877-573-7825. This is Dr. Ray. Be right back with some good calls up there. Thank you so much. That is summertime music. This ain't exactly summertime. I mowed the lawn for the last time yesterday. Boy, what a nice feeling, too. Ooh, doggy. With each strip I took, just one less. Christina from Dollars Taxes says she has a tip. And I like these kind of tips. People do this a lot. They call in the program and say, look, I got some good ideas. And I love to hear them. She wants to give a tip about gratitude with the kids at Christmas time. Hi, Christina. Hi, how are you? I thank you for the call. Thank you. So I, um, when I had uh, young children, I told them they could only ask Santa for one gift, one, and one. You Grinch! Told them oh. The gift. Christina, everybody oh, in your world thinks you were a terrible Grinch. And that way, I told them if you ask for too many, then somebody else, other little child may not get presents because you're being too greedy. Oh, so, this is a version yeah. of if you don't clean your plate, there's starving kids in China. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. I said you can have a Christmas gift list, but that's what we're going to ask maybe grandparents or aunts and uncles or mom and dad will get for you. And then, but you could only ask Santa for one. And then uh, they had to write thank you notes. I said, even by the time they're age four, you can have them copy the name onto the card, and then they can write their name at the bottom. And as I got older, they could write the cards themselves. But my children are all adults, and they all write physical, write thank you notes to everybody. And the other thing I did is I avoided taking the kids to the store so they wouldn't see everything and go, I want this, I want this, I want this, and... I avoided they were not allowed to watch TV and see yellow commercials. So, so all the time that your kids were growing up, from about, like you say, three, four on, your Christmas was, from mom and dad, was one gift. Yeah, from Santa. That was labeled from Santa, yes. Oh. But they, I mean, they got gifts from, from the rest of the family, but yes. So when Santa faded, was it still only one from mom and dad? Pretty much by the time they hit age 12, I said, I don't want to buy them a something physical. I'd rather they had an experience. So we started doing other things that might be fun for them. Um, we got an amazing deal being in the military where we were stationed at the time. And so one Christmas, I got them all a $99 package to go skiing for four weeks in a row. You put a lot of thought in this. And you, I got to believe, 
went against the prevailing cultural stuff flow, especially at Christmas time, did your kids uh, feel uh, shortchanged? No, they never seemed to feel shortchanged at all. Because they you know, grew up, um, that's I the way it was. I had one child that wanted to go to Disneyland all the time, and I told my husband, no, we'll, they would take them camping and hiking, and because they'll and remember that more and enjoy that more than going to Disneyland. How old are your kids now, Christina? Uh, the youngest is twenty, and the oldest is thirty-four. And they didn't go on. They didn't go on uh, Springer or any of those shows talking about you and how their childhood was so deprived. No, I mean it's so funny because of course you're going to get the range out of five. I've got three that seem to be really grateful, and two that seem to think <laughs> that you know they were. <laughs> you <laughs> ripped them off. Of all yeah, the parents yeah. I could have got at Christmas time, this is what I got stuck with. But it's really funny. They're all great, amazing adults, and they're all practicing Catholics, and they have fantastic Catholic spouses. So, hey, wow. I'm happy. I don't that's care. A, if they yeah, do that doesn't perfect. happen much nowadays. That is that's that's <laughs> quite a stellar outcome. Good for you. Well, I like the tip. I do like that very much. My wife and I were something along that lines with our kids. Um, probably gave more than one, but we also gave a whole bunch away. But uh, thank you, Christina, and, and God bless you, and tell your wonderful family when they coalesce on your place, which I assume mom still runs things. Uh, bless the Thanksgiving. Thank you. Thanks. Bless Thanksgiving to you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye now. That was pretty cool. Wow, the amazing thing is five kids, all still very much in the church. All still with spouses that go along. Oh, I know. That's 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 a rarity these days. Oh, good stuff up there. Nobody go, please. Nobody go. Uh, Roseanne from Virginia. She has a cousin who converted to Judaism. Hi, Roseanne. Hi, Doctor Ray. Thanks for uh, talking to me about oh. this. It's been on my mind for a long time. Well, you got to understand, this is more women that want to talk to me in nine years of college, you know? <laughs> so I had one radio well, show. Well, I think, I think you've improved with age. <laughs> well, I had room for improvement, huh? <laughs> Good one. <laughs> okay, we you can go now. <laughs> so your cousin converted no, to Judaism. Wait, wait. And and you said, uh, you asked her, did you reject Jesus? Did you put it that way? She, uh, she came to visit me. We live in different states. And I talk to her frequently, but we don't see each other very often. But she came to visit me, and she wanted to talk about religion. It was like she needed to clear the air. And so we started talking about her conversion. She wanted me to hear her side of it and why she did it. And during that conversation, I asked her, so you you rejected Jesus. I have a hard time with that. And she said, who said I rejected him? Yeah, the way you put and, it, I could have predicted the answer you were going to get. You could have said, Roseanne, so what do you think about Jesus? Yeah, I should have. Yeah, because she go. I didn't reject Jesus. I still believe he's a good man, good prophet, etc. Right? 
Oh, she believes he's God. She does? Yeah. So she does. Whoa. And so. Well, how is that Judaism? Exactly. Here's what she told me. When she converted, she was given a list of things to read off a paper that she agreed to. And nowhere on there did it say that she didn't believe in Jesus. So because of that, she she saw that as a loophole. Hmm. So she likes the way talk about it. She likes the way the religion expresses itself, but she doesn't want to give up her historic belief that Jesus is the Son of God. Exactly. Oh, that's an interesting. That's an interesting syncretism to use the fancy word. Um, yeah. Hmm. Well, maybe the next time she brings it up. I think what she wanted to do. Just let me speculate here, and you tell me how wonderfully right I am because I want to hear it. Um, I'll speculate that she cares about what you think. She knows that your Catholic faith means an awful lot to you. So she wanted to say, don't get upset with me. Don't judge me. Uh, this This was well thought out. I didn't impulsively do this. And I have my reasons. And so you just need to understand and accept. Yes. You're, you're spot on. That's exactly Okay, you didn't say wonderfully right, but spot on is good enough. That's close enough. Stay right there. I just got one more thought I want to ask you a question. If you stay there, Roseanne, through the break. Okay. All righty, dear. Every time I hear Roseanne, all I think of is Gilda Radner. I, Roseanne, Rosanna Dana. Okay, don't tell me you don't remember because you're too young. this fear. You know, people say, do you fear things, Dr. E? Yes, I do. I do fear things. I live in fear that one day the real world's greatest dad is going to show up to reclaim his mug. That's what I fear of. This is Dr. Ray. Thank you so much for joining me. Okay, I'm talking to Roseanne from Virginia. I think she's still there because all I did, I really didn't want to talk to her anymore, but this is my way of getting back at countless numbers of girls when I was in college who would say to me, Ray, can you just hold on a second? got to take care of something. I go, oh, sure, sure. And they would never come back. So I'm just doing this to Roseanne just to see if she came back. Roseanne, you there? I'm still here. Ah, ah. All right. One <laughs> question more. When you see your yeah. friend, your cousin, when you see your cousin again, mm-hmm. Be, do a Columbo. Say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, okay. kind of wrap your head and go, yeah. Just, just one more thing. Just one more question I had. How, how do you reconcile the Jewish faith that you converted to with the idea that you believe Jesus is God? And if she kind of says something along the lines of, well, you know, I, I can believe both. I can do both. You say, well. If you went to your rabbi and you asked your rabbi that, would he say you could do both? Yeah. Almost in a way, almost in a way, you hate to do this. You want you don't want to put her in this position, but you almost want her to think about choosing here. Yeah. But what yeah. we'll find out, but we'll see. 
Roseanne, thank you thank so you much for, for for holding for me, dear. I appreciate it. Thank you. you thank you. You. Take, you take good care. Bye. A uh, real quick one with Margaret, who is crying apparently because it says Margaret Wah. Oh, that's Margaret Washington. Okay, got it. Margaret, her father was in the army. And the old, eat your peas, there are kids starving in China. I used to say to my mom, name one, just name one kid, and I'll eat my broccoli. Hi, Margaret. No, it was peas. Well, broccoli's worse than peas, isn't it? (laughs) No, when I was a little girl, I remember I didn't like to eat, I didn't want to eat my peas. And my father told me, that these little, this, you know, during World War II, they were down in the Philippines, and he said these little children would come around their camp. They had coffee cans, and they would get the food out of the garbage cans. And I just remember, I just felt so terrible. Did that help you eat your peas? Well, I just still didn't want to eat my peas. <laughs> but maybe what you're saying, Margaret is you were grateful even for your peas. I suppose so, but I don't know, you know. I mean, I was <laughs> I was about 6 years old at the time. Did you grow into gratitude for your peas? Well, um my mother started buying frozen peas instead of canned peas and yeah, I they're a, lot, a better. lot better, so yeah, I ate them. Yeah, they're a lot better, a lot better. Well, the thing is, I think what you what you heard from your dad was be grateful for what you have even though you don't prefer it yes there you go yeah i think that's a yeah. that's a wonderful lesson but isn't it interesting that you had to form the picture in your mind of these little kids scrounging through garbage mm-hmm. for anything mm-hmm. edible. And that picture yes. in your little sensitive six-year-old mind was enough for you to say, okay, I still hate peas, but I'm grateful to God for peas. Yes. There you go. You good know, good, no. good one, Margaret. Good one. Do you, oh, just one more question. I'm being my Columbo. Do you eat peas now? I eat frozen peas, yes, and I like them. But no canned peas. I still don't like canned peas. But if somebody put them in front of me, if I were at someone's house and put them in front of me, I'd eat them. Well, you certainly are um, socially considerate. I, you know what I like too is when I when when they used to do those uh, interview questions for the uh, the young women who competed in the Miss America contest. Oh yes. A lot of them I couldn't believe it. A lot of them said that they said, "I I really wish for world peas." Yeah. Oh. That? Yeah, and I always thought, "What is oh, yes, world the peas?" World peas. Yeah, I didn't know what it was. Margaret, bless your heart. I'll talk to you. Okay. Thanks, Doctor Ray. Bye, honey. Bye, Karen. Karen from Rochester, New York. That's uh, Station of the Cross Turf. Hi, Karen. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Got a 17-year-old daughter. Now, you say she took an ADHD test. Now, there's no ADHD test. So what did she take, or who did she talk to? So so it was an assessment um, that she did on the computer, 
and it took her about 15 minutes to go through three different modules that she had to respond to. So it was a listening portion and a and a, a vision portion. Uh-huh. Um, and there were three different tasks. Um, one was for hyperactivity. One was for um, attention, attentiveness, and then the third one was for um, impulsivity. And she's as far as this particular test is concerned, she scored in the normal range for the first two, but the impulsivity um, on your, you know, your curve, she was at 25. And um, the person who gave her the test, he was a, he's a former school psychologist who used to, I guess, test kids in the public school system all the time. Um, and uh, he was taken aback by the results on the impulsivity. He's like, wow, he's like, you, you have a really tough time making decisions, don't you? Um, so anyway, that's, she really wanted to be tested. And I, I had, had heard of this gentleman um, through other homeschoolers that we know. And um, so, you know, I sought him out and said, okay, if this is something that my daughter really wanted to do, um, let's see. Let's see what kind of results we got. Karen, I got so many questions. Okay, stay right there. (laughs) I got to take a break, and I will fling a flurry of questions at you on the other side. Thank you for staying with me. This is Dr. Ray. Today's programming on 990 WDEO is brought to you in part by a gift from our day sponsor. Deacon Greg Vandivorty was born November 22, 1948 in Muskegon, Michigan. He was raised Catholic and served in the U.S. Navy during the Vietnam War. He married Peggy in 1975, and together they raised five children. He was blessed and honored to be ordained a deacon on May 21, 2011, serving at Christ the King Catholic Church in Ann Arbor until his death on June 28, 2013. Fire on the earth, Peter Herbeck. Jesus said, you're the light of the world, and one of the things that he meant by that was the Christian people understand the larger story that's unfolding in history. So as St. Paul said, as the saints echoed very clearly, we're now living through just a a short moment, a slight momentary affliction, he calls it, in this life, which is going to make way and lead us to an eternal glory beyond all compare. The secret to the fruitfulness and the strength of the apostles was that they lived with a clear vision of the future an eternal perspective, fixed on the destiny of where their life was headed. And they lived with the realization that, wow, yeah, life is very short here. Everything is temporary. Nothing here in this world is ultimately going to last except the ultimate destinies, the eternal destinies of every human being that exists on the earth. And they knew that whether good things were coming their way or bad things from the world's perspective were coming away, nothing could steal from them, nothing could take away the gold that was in their heart, the treasure that they bore. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Peter Herbeck spreads fire on the earth, weekday mornings at 6.30 and again at 11.45 on 990 Ave Maria Radio. Very nice to have you with me on The Doctor is In. Dr. Ray Grandy, Monday through Friday, 
1 o'clock Eastern Time, co-production of the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and Ave Maria Radio Communications. And I have Karen with me from Rochester, New York. Her 17-year-old daughter uh, went to the computer <laughs> and took some, oh, took a three-segment assessment device on the computer. And on the basis of a low score on one of those assessment devices, the the rush to ADHD diagnosis is on. Karen, you still there? All right. I am still here. Here's the first of my fling of flurry of questions. One, she scored a 25. Was that the 25th percentile? In other words, she scored 25%, if you will? Yes. Okay, well, that's certainly not severe enough for an ADHD diagnosis. All right, she should have had to score around okay. 5%. So that's the first thing. Okay. Second thing, those tests may be useful for a gross, underline the word gross, screening device, but they certainly are not appropriate for diagnosing ADHD. That has to be done through social case history. It has to be done through eliminating of other diagnoses. It has to be done through looking at other factors, i.e. time spent on the Internet. That's another one. Third, is she seeing a therapist? She is. Okay. So I can't, I cannot comment. You said up there that the therapist wants to put her on meds. That's certainly not my call. I can't say that. I would want to know... If the therapist is willing to talk to you, why do you why did you decide this? Now, perhaps the therapist says, "Well, on the basis of what I know about your daughter, what I know about her history, what I know about her schooling, what I know about her concerns, what I know about her impulsive decisions, it wasn't just that little screening device that I'm basing this on. I'm basing it on other things. That could be. That could very well be. Uh, one other question: When your daughter was in school. What were her grades like? So, we homeschool. Okay. So, how did she do in homeschooling? Very well. Very well. You know, a number, well. one Again, in, a number one indicator of attention problems is academic performance. And if you have somebody who academically performs well, and always has, and then as they get older, it becomes more of a struggle... You have to start asking questions like, what else is changing here? How much time is she spending in social media? What is she doing with her time otherwise? How tough is the work getting? Is she uh, unable to complete organic chemistry, and that therefore she retreats from organic chemistry or fourth-year mathematics, which is calculus? So you have to ask all those questions. You can't just simply say, oh, whoa, look at that. She was really impulsive when she answered those questions on that one test. That's just not a good way to do it. So, there are the questions I would have. Now, I certainly, again, I want to underscore, I am not second-guessing her therapist. The therapist knows way, 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 way more about it than I do than in this situation. I'm just simply saying, what you've told me about that screening device... And the fact that she didn't score that low, she was low average. She, well, not low average. She was, she was down a standard deviation or so. That still 
If you if you're telling me, yeah, she scored like a, a three percentile on that thing, I'd say, wow, what's that all about? And then we do a little more exploring, and we do a little more interviewing, and we we do a little possibly more assessment, and we see what happens. We didn't. If somebody came into my office and said that, I, I wouldn't say, oh, wow, okay, you might want to consider meds, um, because here's a kid who's who's done well academically. So, okay, Karen. Just some thoughts, okay. some questions. All righty, my dear. Thank you for the call. All righty. Uh, Dawn, uh, Nebraska, her dad was also stationed in the Philippines, and he would tell them about those kids. Hi, Dawn. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So what did your so dad my, say my about story, that? Uh, well, <laughs> when we would eat our dinner, he would, of course, tell us about the starving kids in Ethiopia, but he would also say when he was stationed in the Philippines, they would take nickels and throw them into this kind of like a river lagoon of all the waste from the city and watch the Filipino kids wade into there and and retrieve that nickel just to get something for for food. Who would throw the nickels in? Uh, the, the Navy men. He was in the Navy. So him and some other U.S. Navy men, they would just throw the nickels in this lagoon and then watch the Filipino kids go get them. When he told you about that, was he was he sheepish looking back on that? Well, not. he was trying to get us to understand that there are starving kids that would do just about anything to get a meal. Okay. And we should be grateful for the food on the table and not complain about it. So and, as uh, he looked back on it, he said, we would do this. Was, was his point as a 21-year-old Navy man, to say, gee, I want to have a lesson to tell my own kids that these poor children would do anything, even wading through excrement to get a nickel so they could buy food, or was he saying, let's watch this and get a kick out of it? Well, he, I think at the time, he was just, let's watch this, watch these kids, what they'll do for a nickel. But then looking back, I think it was a valuable lesson to teach his kids that, hey, yeah. you should be grateful for what you have. And I wonder if he looked back on it and said, I can't believe I did that in my youthful stupidity. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Because one but could say... there was one... one there, oh, go ahead. One could say, just give the money to the children. I know. But that wouldn't be as entertaining to a 21-year-old Navy man. Yeah, you're right there. But there was one particular lecture that we got when we were kids. It lasted a long time about a meal we didn't like. My mom prepared. And at the end of this lecture that he gave, we all hung our heads and we're going to start eating. And my mom says very sheepishly, I don't like it either. Yeah, your mom saw it and thought, I don't want to think my husband did that even when he was young. Don, thank you for the call. Appreciate it so very much. And thank all of you for staying with me here on The Dr. Is. Have a most blessed Thanksgiving. And uh, remember, gratitude adaptation. Think about everything that you could be grateful for. Much. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.